Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, head of communications at Stiefel, joined as always by our chief Washington policy strategist, Brian Gardner. Hey, Brian. Neil, happy uh, NFL playoff season. Happy NFL playoff season. And actually, for you, happy kickoff, unofficial kickoff to the uh, presidential race. Yes. Yeah, this was. Yep. This um, they coincided and uh, in a big way. A couple of folks had big wins, both on on the political field and on the on the gridiron. Well, even though the Giants weren't playing, I feel like Giants fans got two got a big win too with the two. We were not unhappy. Let me leave it that way. Early exits from both. But but where the the Detroit LA game was an absolute nail biter and thrilling. Yep. The Iowa caucuses that was not a nail biter, and it pretty much went as expected. Yeah. So let's talk about that for everyone who was under a rock. What we're referring to is the Cowboys and the Eagles with epic collapses to end the season, making all Giants fans happy. And no epic collapse in Iowa, where it seems like Trump just steamrolled over everybody, as to your point, Brian, as expected. Any other any takeaways that you have from that? No, I mean, we can go one more metaphor or one more comparison, whereas the uh, the Buffalo Pittsburgh game got pushed back a day because of the weather. The Iowa caucuses were not delayed. They went on on schedule, and uh, the, the result was as expected. And, and maybe that weather kind of kept turnout down a little bit, um, and, and it was supposed to be a runaway. Um, so that, plus the weather, probably kept turnout down. Some people are looking at the turnout as a sign, you know, is it showing something down the road that Trump might be vulnerable? Um, but overall, it was a big win for Donald Trump. Um, and, and, you know, he... It's an historic win in comparison to past Iowa caucuses. No one has won in the modern era by by this kind of margin. Well, clearing clearing fifty percent. Yeah, and I I heard Brian, and maybe this is wrong. I probably should fact check it, but maybe you could fact check it for me. I thought I heard somewhere that he won in something like ninety eight of the ninety nine counties, and in the one county that he lost, it was by a sing, a single vote. That's that that's my understanding. Yeah. So it, it was a it was a very broad win across the state. You don't see that in many places, in many primaries. And you know, and I think he benefited by um the fact that, you know, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis basically tied for second. I mean, uh, Haley came in third, but the fact they were in a couple of points of each other um is is immaterial. Um you know, was you know, if DeSantis had come in third, he would have he could have dropped out. That didn't happen, so he lives to fight another day. Haley doesn't get any kind of momentum out of this, so she's going to go to New Hampshire, and I, I think she can do well in New Hampshire. Um, but I don't think she can break through just based on New Hampshire. She needed more. She needed Iowa to show that in states that don't look like New Hampshire, that look more like Republican voter electorates elsewhere, that she can do well, and she didn't. And so... Um, you know, I guess the, the only scenario that I can come up with for somebody to take on Trump, one of those two, because that's all that's left, uh, is for Haley to win New Hampshire, pivot, win in South Carolina. Um, and look, you know, she's a former governor there, so that kind of makes sense. But she still trails Trump by 10 points or more in South Carolina. He's very popular there. She hasn't been on a South Carolina ballot since 
2014. Yeah. A lot of South Carolina voters, Republican voters have never voted for Nikki Haley before. They don't they don't have the same ties to her as a sit as they would a sitting governor. Um, you know, and like I said, DeSantis's chances are just even more remote than that. So I, I think this whole thing is over the GOP nomination. I think it's over by early or mid-March. Do they do they even have enough money to go that long? I, you know, I, I think Haley probably does. DeSantis, it becomes a bigger problem. Um, he spent a lot of money, burned through a lot of money in Iowa. His, uh, some of his backers are now going to back away um, uh, and not support him. So yeah. he, he's going to have trouble raising more money. I think Nikki Haley, she could, she probably has enough money to, to fight a few more weeks. And if she got any kind of momentum, if I'm wrong, Right. And yeah. she does win, you know, if that North uh, New Hampshire, South Carolina scenario works and she wins both of them, let's just say that for the sake of argument, then the money will start to flood in um, and, and she would definitely have enough. Plus, tr Trump's not, you know, Trump has a lot of money, but he's spending a lot of money. A lot of his fundraising is going towards his legal bills. The campaign is paying for his legal bills. So, you know, Trump isn't exactly, you know, just gushing in money. Yeah, Trump has the benefit though of getting a lot of free airtime. He gets it's it's amazing. In in some ways though, this is the great irony is that I, I one of the things I think he's benefiting from is that he's not on free media a lot or or the social media platforms. He's been deplatformed, and I think him being more quiet than normal, yeah, usual. Excuse me, that that's a bad bad choice of words there, but um, than typical with Trump. I think that's helped him. I, you know, in, in some ways, it's the reverse of 2020. The Biden basement campaign is now the Trump basement campaign in some ways. Mm -hmm. You just don't see him on free media or social media nearly as much as you did in the past two cycles when he was running. Yeah. Well, it's still early. It is. Yep. I remember. Well, I know it's it's getting late early, Neil. Yeah. Well, for certain candidates that we've just discussed, obviously. Um, it's amazing because the old, what's the old saying? Uh, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And it's just, I feel like DeSantis was pretty much, you know, anointed the nomination, you know, 18 months ago. No, I think that's, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but he um, he went backwards in Iowa. Yeah, for sure. His poll numbers were in the 30s several months ago when it first started. Look, it, it all goes back to March and April of 2023 when the prosecutions against Trump started. Yeah. You can look at every poll chart of polling, and there is a clear divergence where Trump was leading DeSantis by a couple. Those announcements come out, the polls start heading in different directions, and and that was the end of it. Look, Ron DeSantis has not run a great campaign. Um, there are a lot of technical things that you can that people can critique about his campaign, but at the end of the day, the 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 fundamentals of the race being Trump being prosecuted by the deep state and I'm kind of taking the 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 view of kind of your your typical Republican voter it, it rallied Republicans yeah. to Trump and that was that there's was no it doubt. there's no doubt I mean it goes back to uh, and then we can move on off of this topic but it goes back to the first campaign 2016 what what was Trump's line I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and my supporters will still stick by me. He was very right. He was. Um, all right. Well, so that covers the campaign pretty well. And we'll obviously have other opportunities to talk about it. 
Um, the other thing that we've talked so much about on the podcast is the potential of a government shutdown. Is it coming? Is it not? We've got, uh, there have been some key dates that we've bantied around. So where do we stand on the potential of a shutdown? Yeah, so, you know, we, we have this laddered continuing resolution, a CR in, in D.C. terms, that funds part of the government, about 20% of the government, through the end of this week. So that we had a deadline coming up. <clears throat> the rest of the government was funded through February 2nd. So there was a question whether we're going to get a shutdown at the end, a partial shutdown at the end of the week. That seems to be aver- have been averted, <laughs> excuse me, um, at least until March. Um, there's an agreement to kind of extend the laddered uh, CR into March. The, the four agencies, the four uh, parts of the government that would be shut down this week are, are extended, uh, I think, to March 1. And then a week later, the funding for the other 80% of the government, including the Department of Defense, Treasury, which includes the and, and the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, those go <clears throat> another week into March. So, um, you know, it, it's great that it's been averted. You know, I, it, as we've discussed before, Neil, you know, market implications, I think, you're, are tough to find from shutdowns. Um, but there is the political aspect of it, um, uh, the dysfunction of government that's not a positive. Um, the more the can gets kicked down the road, the tougher it gets on Speaker Johnson. He's he's already been, I think, pretty public in his um, reluctance to do CRs. Conservatives hate them, <clears throat> and so he's gonna he, the the, C, the CR to extend the current CR um, is probably going to pass, but in the House it's probably going to do it with more Democratic votes than Republican votes, and that's gonna that's gonna irritate the conservatives to no end. That that's something that contributed to Speaker Kevin McCarthy, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy's downfall. And so, you know, I'm not predicting that there's going to be another motion to vacate and try and remove Speaker Johnson, but there, it, it's a growing risk. And I, I don't think that dysfunction is good for markets longer term. And then also, the longer this goes on, um, you keep kicking the can down the road, you have that element from the debt ceiling deal, um, which... <clears throat> creates a sequestration of funding. If there's no long term, there's no full year funding in place, we're just dealing with a, a short-term bill, at the end of April, there's sequestration. There are so there are actual cuts. And so that's something that uh kind of keeping an eye on. Yeah. You're all choked up over this this government. Yeah, you know it's it's up, Brian. It's cold and flu season, Neil. I understand. I understand. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about another debate going on in Washington that we've raised before, which is this foreign aid bill. Um, and it comes at an interesting time. You know, geopolitics are one thing. You talked about things that affect the market. Geopolitics and conflicts in certain zones are, are something that I think a lot of people end up discounting in the markets, but oftentimes come back to uh, to hurt to hurt stocks. It's something that Stiefel CEO Ron Krzyzewski was talking about, um, as you know, Brian, and many of our listeners know, he was in uh, Davos, Switzerland this week uh, for the World Economic Forum, and there were a lot of geopolitical issues raised there. The leader of um, the Ukraine was there and other folks. So I guess the question for you is, where do things stand right now with the supplemental aid bill? So, you know, for, for listeners who don't remember, back in the fall, President Biden proposed 
a spending bill, a supplemental foreign aid package, aid for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, some border spending. Um, and that's been just, it's been hobbled. Um, and there's no clear path forward on it uh, to get it passed. So, and, th and this is, this kind of ties into the issue of the shutdown, um, because Johnson's standing with conservatives uh, is is going to deteriorate if he brings the supplemental to the floor um, without something in return. And, you know, what does he get in return? Well, it's 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 on immigration. Um, House Republicans, they want to try and attach H.R. 2, which is their immigration border bill, border security bill. But that's not going to pass the Senate. Um, there's no way it's going to pass the Senate. The Senate itself has is been negotiating. Senators on both from both parties have been struggling to reach a deal on immigration policy changes. Um, so, with you know, it, it, there's no clear path to getting an immigration deal. And without immigration, I, I'm not sure that conservatives would support the bill, the underlying bill, the supplemental. I, I think it's even tough to bring to the floor um, without having an immigration package attached to it. Um, that that would be that would put Johnson in a very difficult position. And at the same time, it's you know, like I said, you know, on HR two, it's tough to see Democrats voting for an immigration bill that's going to satisfy Republicans. There's also the Trump factor. Um, you know, he hasn't weighed in on the bill that I've heard. Maybe he won't. But if he decides to speak out against it, and you know, I can come up with a, an easy rationale that he opposes more aid for President Zelensky in uh, in Ukraine, that this this goes back to his first administration and a lot of hard feelings there, um, then it would be very difficult for Johnson to bring the supplemental uh, funding bill to the floor, the, the, the foreign aid bill. So, uh, you know, there have been people here who have been expecting this to come up for a while and think there is some kind of pathway forward. Um, I, my view is that the politics of this are really, really difficult. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Um, well, what about a path forward for tax legislation? Something else we've talked about and something that could have yeah, well, implications well, on business and investors. Um, where do we stand with tax legislation? Also coming to a head. Um, so uh, the two heads of the uh, tax writing committees, Senate Finance Committee, House Ways and Means, they have reached an agreement between the two of them on a tax bill that would kind of restore the treat the the pre um, twenty twenty three treatment of R and D bonus depreciation business at interest deduction formula. It would end the retained employee tax credit, which is a COVID um, tax treatment. It would increase the child tax credit. Um, you know, there are things in the bill that, you know, positive for defense, positive for pharma, um, but it needs to pass pretty quickly because the bill is actually retroactive to 2023. So very good for those industries that I that I just mentioned. But tax season starts pretty soon. Paperwork has to start going out. So if a deal's not done in the next couple of weeks, um, I don't know that lawmakers are, are, are going to be able to reach some, uh an agreement to get it through later in the year. Um, and like I said, the deal is between Chairman Wyden and, and uh, Jason Smith in the House. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, he's spoken in support of it, but hasn't committed floor time. Other congressional leaders have yet to weigh in, and some are, have said they're looking for changes. So, you know, some Republicans might think the increase of the child tax credit is too much. 
and they don't want to vote for a corporate tax cut while debating the budget. And this all this always ties in together. Um, some Democrats are going to be ambivalent about the corporate tax cuts, and they're going to think that the the child tax hike, the credit hike, that's too small. So I think prospects are pretty murky at this point. Um, uh, you know, I, I think we we probably talked about it two weeks ago and said, probably said similar to what we're saying right now, which is the situation's coming to a head and it's going to be resolved soon. We're really at that point within the next week or two that this has to be resolved. So it's either, I think if it doesn't get passed in the next two weeks, the chances of it passing probably diminish pretty mi- meaningfully. A good teaser for the next podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, I'm not, I'm and, not and, we're, and we're going to, we're, you know, but the next podcast, we're getting closer and closer to spring training, Neil. So, I mean, we're, 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 I'm preparing my previews right now. I can't, I just can't. It's, yes, you can. It's going by way too quickly. I know. Well, I don't want to keep you any longer, Brian, because I'm afraid we're going to like lose your voice if we go <laughs> five more minutes, but I appreciate you toughing it out. It is cold and flu season and I hope you take care of yourself. So feel better. And thanks for the time. Thank you, Neil. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll see you. We'll be back with another episode of Potomac Perspective in a couple of weeks. Take care, everyone.